This episode contains themes of sexual assault, which may be triggering to some listeners. Discretion is advised. You touched me when you should have been watching. I gave in when I should have been cautious. I'm optimistic despite you. Desdemona is scattering items and clothing in the air, barely controlling a mounting hysteria. Amelia watches, amused and disgusted at the mess her lady is making. Are you sure you didn't see it? The last time I remember holding it in my hand was last week in the arbor. You're sure you didn't see it? Hi. It looks like... Like anybody's handkerchief, saving it as those dainty little strawberries on it. I never could be after embroidering a piece of linen with fancy work to wipe up the nose. It's got to be here somewhere. After you blow your nose in it and it's all heavy and wet, who's going to open the damn thing and look at the pretty stitches? Amelia, are you sure you didn't get didn't get it mixed up somehow with your your things? And why should I be needing your handkerchief when I'm wearing a plain soft shift which works just as well? And failing that, the good Lord gave me slain. It's got to be here! Oh, skunk water! Dog piddle! I'm after telling you, my lady. Nonsense! It's got to be here! Goddamn horse urine! It was there once upon a time when my lady was toddling about the palace and all of her servants would be following after the stooping to pick up all the pretty toys you'd be scattering. Amelia, please! I cannot bear a sermon! That was the day the senator, your father, gave you your first strand of pearls from the Indies. You were all of five. And your hand just plucked it from your neck. How you laughed to see us, Teresa Maria and me, scrabbling on all fours like dogs after truffles scooping up the rolling pearls. Oh, shit! Desdemona returns to the hunt. Amelia picks up a torn sheet. Now, see, this sheet was washed this morning. Your husband, as you know, is fussy about his sheets, and while it was no problem to have them fresh each night in Venice, could open the window and dunk them in the canal. Here on Cyprus, it takes two drooling orderies to march six times down to the cistern and back again. It's beyond repair. And now that your husband commands fresh sheets, my Iago's got in his head to be the Lord as well. He's got to have fresh sheets each night for his unwashed fight. Oh, Amelia, please. I may puke. The theater, the theater. Bring it out, Louise. Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Hey, 
Oh, hi. Uh, let me put on some clothes. Um, I didn't see all together. <laughs> hey, you know, welcome back, y'all, to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater people made by three theater nerds from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm C.J. Merriman. I'm Scott Langett, doing yeah, impersonation of C.J. Merriman. And I'm Annette Funicello. And Annette <laughs> Funicello is here with us today. Um, hey, Annette. Annette Funicello. And we're each members of the Secret Fools Theater Company. Each week we get together, we discuss plays and playwrights. We discuss debate and disseminate all over them. All the things. You already know this, but this is our second episode of the miniseries on Paula Vogel, How I Learned a Podcast. Uh, we had a great week last week. We were talking about uh, specifically Baltimore Wall. Oh, fuck. I hit my thing. Baltimore Waltz. <laughs> I got really passionate about Baltimore Walls. I thought um, I thought we weren't drinking anymore. I'm heavily. Wait, y'all are drinking? Right no, yeah, I'm, I'm really not. Drunk right now. Yeah, I'm not really, at all. really drunk. I would um, never ever drink during a podcast. Oh, that, that, was, a, that was the whole first. Did you just spark time? a bowl? I feel what? like no. We don't smoke on this podcast. None of us smoke. 100%. Except um, CJ, who's except for CJ, she's who's a, a chain smoking whore. whore. Yeah. <laughs> From Cyprus. Um, so, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you asked us that to do it. <laughs> um, you, were, you asked me to pack this bowl. <laughs> I know. I know. So, we do still have our special guest with us, Natalie Nicole Dressel. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi. So good to be here. Welcome good. back. Um, we're, we, you know, you. last time we, we, we did the thing, we did the Baltimore Walls, we did the Desdemona. I feel like we tackled those very well, but now let's let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about our next one on the list, which is, Scott? It's called How I Learned to Drive. Ooh. How did you learn to drive, Scott? Uh, uh, my, my dad made me learn. Uh, actually, he literally said to me the exact thing. That one character says to another, which is, if you learn how to drive on a standard, you can, if you can drive a stick, you can drive anything. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's how I... Oh, were you talking more metaphorically? Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't Her know. Her name was Patricia. Um, you know, we'll she taught me how to drive little... and I drove for one minute. Okay. Okay. Seconds. I have a feeling we're going to <laughs> probably have to throw a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode as well, because yeah, we're, we're yeah. going to tackle some, some legitimate things. Um, just because this play is, is a lot of people's, I think, introduction to Vogel because mm-hmm. right. not just because of its themes and its content, but it's the one that I think, uh, really, proves her to the world as someone worth watching on a on a bigger level than the ones had before. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's the Pulitzer one. Yeah. And the Pulitzer kind of, like, definitely affected how I, I, I viewed it for the first time. Yeah, yeah like, and this... There's a moment when, like, a playwright just stops caring and is just unvarnished whatever their truth is. yeah. And and this feels like a lot of stuff that was afraid to be said before this moment. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about evolutions of playwrights. And part, my take was sort of that she doesn't really evolve. She's, like, always good. And it's always kind of like she just kind of knew who she was. But I, on reread of this, I was like, no. Yeah. She definitely has an arc. And she's definitely figured it out at this point. Like, her voice is so clear in this play mm. um, and it's using things that have been done before obviously in plays stepping out and speaking to the audience breaking the fourth wall giving perspectives from characters that you wouldn't necessarily get mm-hmm. um, from context or from uh, the acting or whatever you know and those are things that have been used before but the way it's used and the the vocabulary she's using not literally but theatrically mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this one, this one, yeah. structurally, this one really uh, stood out to me in her journey as a playwright as being kind of where she locks in mm-hmm. fully. We left off uh, in part one with uh, ending our discussion on Desdemona. She writes two plays in between Desdemona and How I Learned to Drive, uh, Hot and Throbbing in 94 right. uh, and the Manola Twins in 96, which I've heard nothing but good things about, but I, I haven't read it and I've never seen it. Yeah, we were all um, saying off mic that we that's definitely our next read is the okay, Manola yeah, Twins. Yeah, um, let's all do it and talk. Yeah, we will. Uh, I, the one thing I know about this play, I know very little, uh, but I do know that the original cast was Mary Louise Parker. Mm-hmm. And Who's amazing. Yes. Incredible. And David Morse, is, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. And, oh, Dexter's dad. And I saw... Yeah. Um, no, not Dexter's dad. Dexter's... Um, uh, cop, cop dad. No, that's Jeremy. That's James Remar. Oh, you're right. Um, you're thinking of, but thank I'll, you. I'll, yeah, I'll I tell confused, you exactly I who you're thinking. Remar and Morris. They, <laughs> I, that is, boy, that's embarrassing. I'm They're really similar. sorry, James Remar and that's David okay. Morris. I would never do that to you in person. That's okay. I, I would never do. I would never do it if you were standing right in front of me. And especially if you had a name tag on at an event. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even think of the last thing I saw David Morrison. Maybe like Green Mile, or like what was the last thing he did? Uh, I mean, he works all the time. Like, yeah, he does a lot of HBO. Stuff. Yeah, he's... Never say no. <laughs> yeah, um, um, they were, but they were about to put this back up right before COVID hit with him and Mary Louise Parker, wow. and she's like fifty-five now, which is incredible that they would still, you know, cast her in this role. Which it doesn't really matter. No, um, yeah, as long as they change that one line at the end and have her say, "I'm right. almost fifty-five now." Yeah. Right, exactly, but. You know, something interesting. I saw her in um, Heisenberg at the Mark Taper Forum, and it was a two-header. And the guy, I forget his name, who was in it with her, I had seen play um, Prospero and Lear at the Oregon Shakespeare Fest. Wow. And I was just really excited to see him. And I'm a huge Mary Louise Parker fan. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I've even talked about Fried Green Tomatoes and Weeds on this podcast before. But I'm a huge fan of hers, and I would kill Hell to see that production. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You I need want a little film it. of it? Please, yes, please, please, please. It's the story of the strange sexual relationship between Lil Bit and her aunt's husband, Uncle Peck. Uncle Peck. Yeah, so this is a tough one, y'all. This is like thematically, this is gonna this is gonna be hard to talk about because it is funny. It, like mm-hmm. I laughed out loud a couple times reading right. it. Well, it shows how complicated those relationships can be, though. It's yeah. like, you know, it's it's not all bad, which is why it goes on for as long as it does. Right. And um, it's really complicated. Yeah. It is, and it's got that Lolita sensibility. I don't know if you guys have ever read Lolita. Um, it's that Vladimir Nabokov, I think yeah, is yeah. his name, um, oh, yeah. book, yeah. which is very much from the, what's his name, Humbert or something? Humbert, Humbert, Humbert. Humbert. Um, is sort of, I haven't read that book since high school, but it, where it's very much from the perspective of the predator, um, and it somehow at moments even makes you feel for him. Um, if if you're... well, she and Vogel cites cites that like that she was so uh, right. upset and angered and in awe of Nabokov right. for making her feel for him. Exactly. Um, and so she kind of does a reversal of that, right? Where it's it's now from her perspective, but for but I would argue. And this isn't, we've talked about this with body awareness, with a couple other pieces, where there, I do. I have moments where I feel for him. And I'm like, fuck, how did you do that? I don't want to feel well, for him. Well, he has right. moments really where he 
kind of realizes exactly uh. who he is and feels bad about it. And I think yeah. those are the moments that are hard to watch. And thematically, it's similar to Blasted, actually. Right. The line oh, that yeah. struck me that he says is, uh, I am a very ordinary man. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly, though. <laughs> but exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's. It, I, I think it has to be that complicated because um, it, the way that it's written is for us to understand that this character believed they had agency. Right, right. Because they, they they include that scene about the mom saying, "Well, then whatever happens is your fault if you're gonna your hang fault. out with your uncle." So that's saying the that thing to an eleven year old. Yeah. yeah, and and for for her to think that she could even like you grow up thinking I made those decisions, and then right. at a certain point you look back and go, "I was just a kid. I shouldn't right. have. No one should have been allowing me to make those decisions." Right. Right. And that's the, the best part of, the, of this, yeah, the way that this unfolds, the way that the information is told to you, because um, normally a memory play, I feel like, isn't this disjointed. Um, I was trying to think of other ones, like maybe Betrayal. It reminded betrayal. me of Mary Page Marlowe. Oh, right. It's very Mary Page Marlowe, where you're getting different pieces of the story at, at very specific times, mm -hmm. which is, you're right, Scott, or who, who had ever had brought up, was it you, Natalie, who brought up seeing a production of this where they put the ending at the beginning? Oh, oh Baltimore Waltz, they, right? They, uh, well, uh, oh, that Paul, was Baltimore Paula Waltz. Paula said that they were playing the ending at the beginning. That was Baltimore, Baltimore Waltz. Waltz. But Sorry, I said I that I, I saw a version of How I Learned to Drive where there was a lot of judgment being put on Peck from yes. the top, which yes. did not allow the ambiguity. You can't uh, play it from the beginning or it loses that side of it. Yeah. You're not supposed to know how you feel for most of this play. And that is what's, I'm like, you're pretty sure you don't feel good. But you keep holding on to these little threads of hope, just like Lil Bit does. Right. The brilliance of the structure and that that, that it's uh, it's it's out of order. It's non chronological. It's these vignettes, and it just adds to the layers of complexity. And then when you start to look and go, oh, this scene takes place before this. Scene. Oh my God! Like it it builds brilliantly. Like she builds this uh, the arc yeah. of for Lil Bit especially. Well, and I have to be honest, as, as, you know, as a man, I was watching it feeling like in that first scene, I have to be completely straight up the first time I read this. And I think like to go back to that moment where I was, I was talking about in the last episode where I was sitting in the script library and just picked it up like this is a dumb title and read it. And that first scene, I was already so uncomfortable because I mm -hmm. was feeling like I was kind of against her. Mm. in that scene and then mm. felt that way in a couple other scenes too where i was like well she's being dumb well she's not <laughs> getting it and then i had to like really check myself and be like wait bailey and this is why it was the gut punch that it was the first time i read it as a 19 20 year old was that i was reading it the whole time going wow she's so in the wrong and then at the end i went after the final scene with the 11 year old scene right with him oh, and the oh. first time and i just i went Bailey, what the fuck is your problem? And I had to really do some introspective, you know, yeah. work where I was like, Bailey, like, whoa, I can't believe that you read it this way. And now, you know, I view everything differently. This was a huge awakening moment for me. Yeah. What well, Paula, I'm, I, the, the character that uh, Little Bit represents, I'm sure that those thoughts that you had were internalized for her too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Like it's, it's not, it's, you're not, Wrong, those you it's engineered for you to go yeah. on the journey you went on yeah and and i you know i have a lot of friends who uh, as we all do everyone knows you know i mean let's 
to pull out a statistic that I don't know is 100% true, but that I, I had heard recently and I was like, what, that's fucking insane, is that one in four women under, or one in four women will be sexually abused before they're 18. Mm. <sighs> one in six men will be sexually abused before they're 18. <sighs> and so we all know someone, right? right? I mean, with those statistics, we all yeah. know at least one person, if not Multiple. hundreds, yeah. that yeah. have have endured these kind of things and have had to go through the manipulation and 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 we think well I know friends who have gone through this and whether we have or not we go well I understand it we really don't and this play proves that and in a really a beautiful way and the, it talks you know at the end when she has the line you know I wanted to ask him who did it to you Ugh. Uncle Peck the oh. idea that these these cycle, cycle. You, you don't yeah you don't do it you know and then um, I had a, a dear friend of mine, and you know, had known her for a while when she, you know, told me about this horrible thing that had happened. Family friend, you know, and that had gone on for like between ages twelve to sixteen before the dude got busted. Okay. And she said that the 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 crazy thing was, and the thing that it, it, I heard her saying it echoing in my head as I'm watching this was, well, I didn't hate him. I liked a lot of things about him. Mm-hmm. That's why he was able to keep the manipulation going. It just was this one thing that I shut down. And, and, and even that, you know, was like mixed with all the, this idea of, you know, a young woman trying to deal with maturity and thinking that she could, she could be mature, but not really having a, the emotional capacity to handle it or process it at all. Um, I th- no, it, it it it's striking. I think this play is so valuable. Maybe even, I mean, it's crazy valuable in 1997, but I think there are so many more conversations happening right now about things like this. 100%. And the fact that oh, this yeah. show is 23 years old, and the thing, I mean, I, in, I loved this play so much, but, like, the different cast of characters and the quite frankly the archetypes that show up in these family abuse situations Mm -hmm. like the aunt mary monologue like the people the people around that are blaming the victim the people that deny what's happening and i just i just think it's it's i it just shows those people that come forward that are a part of it and it shows it shows how many more people are affected by the abuse, not just the victim and the abuser. Um, and how unwittingly we can, the, the, the damage can get augmented unwittingly. There's the, I, my favorite scene in the, in the play is between the, the generations of women, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and talking, you see that, you know, in Desdemona, she repeats that. And just, just the damage that's being done, the expectations that, women are repeating to other women that well, that comes from the patriarchy and and, and the little allowances like little mm, bit is mm. is not even like an adult woman and she walks in the room and everyone's talking about her tits it's like yeah. a right. it's little things like that that then she doesn't make even want to dance because she's afraid that people will stare awful. at her she, jiggling, she, right? when, i was grossed out by the whole like sexual way the family speaks 
all yeah. the time. Yeah. The grandpa. Like, very, like, I can really sort of relate. Like, I don't know if your families are like this, but, like, occasionally my family would get into this, like, mode where I'm just like, oh, I'm just so disgusted. I feel like I'm dirty just being in this house around this. This is so not my thing. This sure. is so not what represents me, but I can't leave because I live here. I can't. I'm a kid. I can't move. Mm-hmm. True. That I felt that like really strongly for her in this play, where it's just like she's just so trapped yeah. in every direction. Yeah. And he's literally the only person who's nice to her. Right. So it's like it's really hard to, like how do you shut out the only kind thing in your week? You know, <laughs> right. like Right. One thing I read was that um she would prefer him to be cast as sort of a Atticus Finch type, which yeah. to me is interesting, his name being Peck, right? Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. But yeah. sort of like but in my head I'm like, that's perfect. You cast somebody who's and even to think of the the new uh to kill a mockingbird on stage, Jeff Daniels would mm. be amazing in this role. Holy because shit. he's so avuncular and mm. well, avuncular he's an uncle, but like literally, like he's just so kind seeming and that Atticus Finch idea of like, oh, I can really trust this man. Hiding in plain I, sight. That's right. And I think if you cast it well, I think that, oh, this could be a great fucking play for that. But that's the, yeah. that's, that was my note about the two productions that I'd seen of it was the Uncle Peck, just like the, like the, there was one young woman who was particularly great and the other one was okay, you know, held her, held her own in, in a very complicated play. But I, neither of them were, neither of the Uncle Pecks, Got it. They they were, they were leaning into the lasciviousness just a little bit, and yeah. you just it's can't gotta, you, you can't, can't do it. Him. Yeah, I mean that's why I think when when I saw David Morris had originated the role, I'm like, that's it. That's yeah. the guy. He's unassuming. He's it's not that he's overtly charming. He's just got this sort of pleasant air about him, and I can see that Atticus Finch kind of, you know, upstanding yeah. guy. Like at a certain time and place, Tom Hanks would have yes. Would have that been is, really fucking amazing. In literally, this. that's the name I was about to say. Wow! I was wow. about to say Tom Hanks. It would be incredible to see someone like him play it because you would you're going in being like, oh, it's Tom Hanks. He's my best friend. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's he like, played like, Mister Rogers. Some actors don't need He's to Mr. save Rogers. the cat moment because they are right. already who they are. Right. right. Exactly. exactly. You don't always have to save the cat to with 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 casting right it's like well we'll just get tom hanks and then everybody gets it right <laughs> yeah, that's um, why bill murray in groundhog day does not have a save the cat moment because he's bill murray and everyone just already are, likes him yeah. sure benefit of the doubt yeah if you've seen yeah. meatballs you already like him so it's fine yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <seen meatballs. laughs> well, you know it's but it's true though like that that sort of meta you know using somebody very specifically because of of what that persona is, you know, right. I can't wait. I was just watching this documentary and, uh, Henry Fonda was on it and Henry Fonda was sort of Tom Hanks of his day until he did, yeah. uh, how the West was won. And he plays a fucking psychopath. And it's just like, it's unreal. And you're just shaken to your core because yeah. this image that's been in your head of, you know, young Pretty Mr. Boy. Lincoln, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden it's like, so I can't wait for Tom Hanks to do, He's really Can't wait creepy. for Tom Hanks to be in, in the movie version of How I Learned to Drive. Oh. Um, another oh. interesting casting from the original uh, was Michael Showalter. We brought yeah. that up in the first episode, but yeah. Michael Showalter of, uh, I mean, State, Michael and Michael, uh, yeah. Stella, 
Hot yeah. white American Summer. I always oh, think of Stella. Yeah. That's my favorite. Stella. Like, oh yeah, Stella yeah. Is so yeah. good. I got I to see them David live. Man. I saw them live here. Really? That's cool. Yeah, you've yeah, told that right. on the pod before. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. good story. Fucking great. They were great. Um, they were insane. I I'm a huge Showalter fan. He directs a lot now. Yes. Um, and he even directed a few episodes and, and was in a few episodes of, of this show. I really love that HBO just picked up picked up called Search Party. Everyone oh, totally is that great? It's I've been hearing one, it's about it in my top shows of the last five years it's phenomenal he directed the big sick yes yeah. and the big sick um he's just he's great and he's everywhere and i saw him at a whole foods one time um <laughs> <laughs> um he's fantastic he was one of the i think he was the teenage greek chorus member yes and then in the original and then another interesting casting is in 1999 at the mark taper forum well, which is in los angeles molly ringwald played little bit well, she had she had done it. Uh, she had done it in New York too. He had she, taken over the role yeah. off Broadway. Um, she had done it for a few weeks or whatever. Uh, I don't think it was a long run. But then they put it up in the Mark Taper form, and she was right there in it. And apparently, it was a phenomenal performance. Wow. I couldn't find a whole yeah, lot on she, it. She got she got a lot of praise for that. Right on. Yeah. I have another question for you guys, real quick, about just like as actors. Um, have you ever had to be? I have a couple times actually but have y'all ever had to be this intimate with somebody on stage whether it was a comfortable intimacy or uncomfortable intimacy there's a lot in this play where these two actors have to be right there with each other you know it gets it gets really close and intimate is there have you all ever one. yeah go for it so in uh in college i went to michigan state university and i ended up getting cast as uh this is pre-transition i got cast as mitch in streetcar named desire Ooh, yeah mm. dream um, role of mine oh my gosh it's it's an amazing it's, role. it's amazing role um but the there is that scene where uh things kind of get out of hand with stella or right. with blanche i, I mean right. and um it's kind of like an attempted rape moment Sure. To be honest, or at least it that's is. how we portrayed it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the the woman who was playing Blanche in our production was a teacher. Oh. Mm. And wow. and not only that, but like the intimidating drama Shakespeare combat professor. Mm. Mm. Uh, so like I was, they really the first day they told me about this choreography, like they really had to like talk me down because I was I was so 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 fucking nervous about it right uh but it was like everything was full and enthusiastic consent and, and you know we went over it until it was comfortable enough but like uh every night was uh an ordeal in its own way uh but I, I I've been told by like my girlfriend Sophie and people who have seen it that that's one of the stronger things they've ever seen me do mm. wow yeah and, and it's just you have to sort of like turn it off you have to turn the yeah, judgment off you do you have to turn your own barometer of right and wrong off and and you just have to uh what is it understand without act judgment is you have to the, act yeah well yeah <laughs> understand without, uh, but like for some reason when it comes to you know hardwired morality right and wrong in acting situations even people do have a hard time turning that off and delivering yeah. you know a performance of a person yeah. who would do it and that's it, it takes a it's 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 a painful process to get there yeah mm -hmm. yep. scott uh, cj have y'all had any intimate stage moments i had to um i mean beyond like kissing cj and i right, kissed right. on stage kissed? But, <laughs> yeah. um i did um a production of a taste of honey in college 
and I played the boyfriend of the mother, and he's sort of this just cockney bully asshole who comes into a room and dominates the room, and at one point, like, has this woman pinned up against a wall, and he's just, he's not grabbing her, he's not, like, throwing her around, he's just using his menace, and and then at one point, like, there's this moment where uh, I had to put my my knee between between this woman's legs, um, just purely, you know, a power thing. Uh, and that was a real hard place to get to. There was a lot of fun, freeing elements about being the, you know, the, the bull in the china shop and playing that. And, you know, but you have to also maintain absolute control over it at, so that it feels like you're out of control and that something violent could happen at any moment. Really tricky stuff. Yeah, you have to go protected with the people you're working with. For Absolutely. Sure. Have you had any intimate moments on stage? Um, I, I was actually thinking, and I, I guess it was years and years ago now uh, when I did Magic Bullet Theory. Hmm. I had a scene where I had to, and I can't even remember all of it. I had to get like in bed with somebody while we were doing. I mean, Scott, you saw it. I can't even remember the name mm-hmm. of the product now. We were doing like a 1950s commercial for a niacin tonic, except we were supposed to be like in a hotel room banging. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah. I, I, but it was with a very close friend of mine, so it was good. Honestly, the most uncomfortable thing that comes to my head is the first time I, I was topless on stage. Mm-hmm. But that's Did not the show? same thing at all. Was it like full frontal showing? Or yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It was yeah, kind yeah. of the point that it was yeah. full frontal. I did do full Monty for months, which was a full yeah. nude on stage. But I, I've had to, I did a new work in college where I had to rape someone on stage. <sighs> that was terrible. Oh, and then I yeah. did um, Danny in the Deep Blue Sea where the director really pushed a lot of that. And this woman was so tiny and I'm so giant that they had me grab her by the neck and lift her up and slam her on a table Yikes. in the first act. And like really get up in her face and scream and like like put my mouth on her face and all this stuff. And that was intense and that was really hard for me, Natalie. Like you said, like the first time we were doing it just really messed with me and they had to like talk me down. Aww. And then the second act we opened, uh, or the second scene we opened with us her topless on top of me having when we were having sex on stage, not for real, obviously, but I remember opening night, my parents were there and that was an intense uh, stage moment for me. But it, yeah, I mean like that I've had to do it and shout out to Renee Marino, my uh, Roberta from that. She's phenomenal. She's on Broadway. Now we'll have her on as a actor spotlight, but I just, um, those are hard. Those are hard for actors and they're hard for directors. And it's, you have to, like you said before, Nat, you have to trust each other. You have to be so there for each other and in it. And uh, I do closed rehearsals when I have anything like that as a director. I don't let anyone else in there. It's the stage manager, the actors, and myself. Right. And, you know, I don't even do int- intimacy coaches because that brings a whole other brain into it and body and energy into it that we just well, don't always That need. wasn't even a concept when I was having to do this where I wish the concept of an intimacy coach had existed at that time because I feel like that's what I needed. Absolutely. Those intimate scenes are crazy. And I think that you're just reading, rereading the play, the scene where he, where he's just lie down on the bed with me. We don't have to do anything. Just lie on the bed with me is so intimate. It's so twisted in so many ways. It reveals so much of him in so many ways. Um, It just, um, it's a hell of a play. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know. The, what struck me reading it this time through, um, honestly, was the scene where he was getting her drunk at the restaurant and the waitress. Right. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the yeah. waitress, like, 
I'm sure has seen this more than once. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not something I have ever really thought about before, but like how Little Bit must have been really annoyed with that energy at that time, but looking back realizes that you know, the waitress was the only girl that was really looking out for her in this situation. Right. Mm -hmm. She just couldn't do anything. And so that was, that really, really struck me. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing um, is uh, what the fact that all of their nicknames are sexual. Uh, I've never heard the term bit be used for a vagina before oh, this sure. play. Yeah. Um, but then now there's this new vampire play uh, movie where uh, a trans girl gets turned, it's like Lost Boys, but with like all women. Hmm. And uh, a trans girl gets gets turned to be a part of the, the she-pack of werewolves, and it's called Bit. And I don't know if that's an intentional oh. thing, uh, but it having learned about that movie and read this play right in the same week, uh, it was impossible to not sort of make that connection for myself, and I just wondered if that was an intentional thing on their part. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, Peck obviously has its connotations. Yeah, yeah based on the movie Pecker. <laughs> right. Um, there is an actress named Lil Bit who just goes by Lil Bit. Um, she's not like a massive star or anything. It's mostly uh, porn. Um, here's some of her, um, mm. here we go, uh, Happy Ass Sluts, mm. uh, Anal Booty Burner 2. She's got a niche. Wouldn't it be great if her and Paula so both had work called Hot and Throbbing? <laughs> you know what? She's got one called Debbie Does Dallas The Next Generation, which is Ooh. cool. Ah. So maybe that's kind of interesting. Uh, California Cocksuckers 15. Uh, Shane's Listen, World. Listen, the, the one through seven were great. The rest yeah, are just... The ugh. rest are trash. Oh, yeah. 13 had its moments. Sure. Um, and then the last one that I'll read, because just greatest title... Comeback Pussy Platinum One Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> that sounds like William Inge. <laughs> it's an Inge play. Pussy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a it's an Inge play. A, this should be a bonus episode where <laughs> the dark at the top of my skirt. <laughs> Reminds me of that Th Thornton Wilder play. Uh, oh God! Oh God! Have I ever told you, Natalie, that I directed uh, Dark at the Top of the Stairs in the William Inge house that it is based in? Like literally in the house that he grew up in. Shut up. It's like I have my friend Bailey that I can wrap my head around and then I hear stories about you and I'm like, I just, I can't, I can't. How, how, am, I, how am I friends with you? Not possible. It's not that Shut cool. Up, it's Bailey. an Independence, Kansas, the meth capital of the world. So, you know, whatever. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Way to talk down uh, the city that, that gave you work. I know. The, yeah, the William Inge Theater Festival is there and, you know, all the things. It's where he grew up. Anyway, um, do we have any other thoughts on um, these porn titles? I'm kidding. On How I Learned to Drive? <laughs> no. I I do think, uh, I will say that when I first saw it and first read it, it was a couple years after it won the Pulitzer. And that kind of weighed heavy on me, you know, like hype kills. So, sure. Um, and I, I, I really am waiting to see a really great production of it, and maybe I'll try and act in one or direct it. I'd love to play Uncle Peck. I'd oh my gosh, you it. would be not to not to insult you, but you would be amazing at that part. You would, Thank Scott. You. Thank no, you, you I've, would I've, because uh, of what I've, we yeah. said before, which is that you would be likable right away. You'd be avuncular, and as long as you didn't play, we'll get Sophia to direct it. She's a phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, Sophia uh, director, my, my favorite is our director. <laughs> yes, Natalie's uh, partner in crime and and in other things. Uh, she is 
probably uh, one of my favorite people outside of Natalie. Um, yep. Scott and CJ aren't on that list, no. but I do no. love no, them. Why would we be? Right. She's actually at doing a post-mortem for Gifted right now in the bedroom. Wow. Which I'm actually <laughs> supposed to be at because I produced that show. Um, but um, we're going to talk I, about oh, that later. By the way, just FYI, I just realized that the last time the four of us were in one room together yeah. was reading Natalie's play. Oh, yeah. You know, I listened to that Soundhine episode where you talk about that, and you all said such very, very sweet things about me. That was I, the... <laughs> I, I can't, almost can't handle it. Uh, we're, we, we're having a lot of fun. We're joking. We're talking about theater. I want you to know how much I love and care about each and every one of you, and working together with you is like a dream, and having you in my life is like one of the main reasons I moved to Los Angeles. Like, you, you're helping me live my dream. You're the Aww. cool people I dreamed I could Aww. be friends with. Well, you're 100% part of our story out here, and we fucking love you. And, and it's it's only right that we had you on as our second ever guest And it on ain't this no podcast. fucking dream. Cause... Incredibly honored. Yeah. What, a, what a hip podcast I'm sort of on the ground floor of here. Like... <laughs> I wish it was hip. It's very niche. I feel like we have, we, I, I you know, I, I look at Audio Boom, and I'll, I might actually read a couple um, of the countries that are heavy listening on us because they're random and awesome, and I want to give shout outs Ooh. at the end. But the big thing to me is that we have about, it, it looks about like a hundred or so people who the morning of Monday morning, they download it right away and they listen to it all the way through. And to those hundred people, I say, we love you. How yes. incredible. Because it's it's like, it's just, it's a, such a small thing to talk about. Like playwrights, like come on, I listened to one other podcast about playwrights. They actually did an episode specifically on how I learned to drive. Um, they, I don't think really got into the, uh, the meat of what they could have, but it, it, it was fine. Um, but I think we're just so goofy and so nerdy and it's like, there's only a few people who are really going to grasp onto this nerdiness and enjoy it. And we, well, it's it. honestly your passion and your love for this that really carries it through on this because I've listened to some of those other podcasts and they're really technically very smart and the information is great. I don't hear the deep love that I get listening to you guys, not only for the plays, but for each other. And that's why I show up. Well, I don't love um, CJ <laughs> because she's a cigarette smoking whore. Let's get into Indecent because, or are there plays in between that and Indecent? Because yes, like there are. Indecent is her her most recent. Um, but after How I Learned to Drive was um, the long. That was a poem. Yeah, that was a haiku. Wow. Indecent is her most recent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, after How I Learned to Drive was um, it was followed up by The Long Christmas Ride Home, which I have read, and uh, I'd love to see a production of God, I'd love to see a production of that. Um, then there's Civil War Christmas. Don Juan Comes Home from Iraq was in 2014. Uh, Civil War Christmas was 2008, by the way. Um, and then uh, Indecent first, uh, first popped up at uh, Yale Rep uh, in uh, 2015. Um, and then was developed from there. Um, let me get out my arm. Technically, my it was sort of developed. It was kind of pre-written by the woman who ended up directing it, right? Rebecca? Yes. Teichman. Uh, yes. Yeah. She, um, had, she had done it as part of her right. her thesis, and, and she was kind of more focused on the obscenity trial involved and, and all right. that. And that's I believe her went, play was called The People versus 
the Larry god Flint. of vengeance. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the people versus O.J. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Um, it was originally commissioned by Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Right. Um, and then it was done at Yale Rep, uh, and then um, in conjunction uh, as a co-production with La Jolla Playhouse. Right, um, which is so, out here. Yes, um, which I just love that it was. We love La Jolla. So it opened at Yale Rep in October 2015, went to La Jolla and played uh, from November to December 2015, and then yeah. went off Broadway uh, at, the, uh, at the Vineyard Theater, Vine- the Vineyard Theater, yeah. which is the home yeah. of uh, How I Learned to Drive, and, and a lot of her work has been done there. Okay. So has this ever made it? This, this obviously made it to Broadway. Is this the first of her plays that, has, that went to Broadway? Uh, I'm 99% yeah, appear, sure yeah, this I'm, is I'm her sure. first thing to ever circle. Go to I mean, there's just, you know, um, uh, Circle in the Square did stuff. and But yeah, I mean, in terms of an actual Broadway, yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm is pretty her sure this stuff, is her first. Is, is her stuff considered too too small for for Broadway theaters? In I mean, there's a lot of her stuff. It might have been considered too queer. Right. Oh, for I mean, sure. There's definitely sure. that. And also in general, I think there's the, yes, I think it is a little small. I think especially like How I Learned to Drive um, and Baltimore Waltz are, are tiny. I mean, I've, I looked up a bunch of sets for both of them and they're all always very understated and simple. In fact, oh, Desdemona too. Oh, really? It's in a yeah. I, the whole time. Right. Oh, that's true. Exactly. And I, I feel like when I think of, um, there was a couple pictures in particular of How I Learned to Drive sets where it was just like a road you know mm. painted and the backdrop or like just the stage was Couple painted cubes, into something y'all. cool yeah and you know the, and the back for the projector for the the, the slide right projector. and that's I not really something that, that makes show, a lot of money yeah the key to that show is you got to get a dynamic person to read that like in the driving like in the reverse gear if you don't have a good voice for that you're gonna lose them right for <laughs> sure for sure yeah, and I think I think in general, um, you're right, Scott. It's, there, it, maybe it's a little too small, but Indecent um, went to Broadway and then went to the Amundsen, and we talked about this earlier, Natalie. But we both saw it. I, I, I think I would have loved this play viewing so much more in an intimate Mark Taper type, 300 seat or mm-hmm. less type setting because I was up in the in the mezzanine, which is fine. But I couldn't see their faces, and it ruined a lot of, like, the theatricality was all there. Um, them pouring the ash out of their pockets looked really cool from far away. The stage p- pictures were beautiful, but it's such a sparse stage. It's just stools, right? And there's, like, really nothing else there. And the people, and I just felt like, man, I wish I could just be right up in their face and see everything that they're feeling and doing right now. I think that would have solidified it for me, because although it's theatrical it's really a rather small play Mm. you're right but i mean like i also like i i feel like i i was in the mezzanine when i saw it too and i don't feel like i didn't get you know my money's worth like i feel like i no i I still felt everything that that was being emoted there uh and yeah i would love to be up close i mean my my the only good seat is front row center as far as i'm concerned sure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um but i also love the idea that it got the amundsen so that like quadruple the amount of people have the ability to see her work absolutely yeah so so it's it's like i get what you're saying but i want paula vogel's words to hit as many ears as possible and for that i will let the face be a little blurry for you 
No, I agree. Yeah, all day, every day. But you know, if I'm if I'm given my uh, my experience, it just to me, it's I want it, and I I want to see it again in a small space. I want to see it. The ideally, I'd love the show to be just for me. No other audience. (laughs) I just want one seat sold in the crowd, and then uh, and then I can. That's the show I feel like I I always aspire to, and everyone else who's there just ruins it for me. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about movie theaters. <laughs> we should we should real quick uh, tell our folks, tell the peeps what what this play is about, what Indecent is about. It is the story of Sholem Ashes, the God of Vengeance, um, and his yeah. writing it and its journey. Um, and yeah, no, uh, and I think that what bowled me over was reading about the process. I read the intro that uh, the the Paula writes. Um, for the published version of the play and talking about, you know, that, that she had been approached to, to write the play and, you know, she about the, her first time being aware of the play and God of Vengeance. And so basically what happened was in 1924, after this play had been a hit in Yiddish theater and and in smaller theater, it goes to Broadway. And then the, the producer and the entire cast get uh, get indicted and convicted of obscenity. Um, because it shows two girls kissing. It shows two girls yeah, kissing. Flat out arrested. I know. Flat out arrested and convicted of obscenity. Yeah. And, and what amazed me was like that, but listening to Paula Vogel talk about how she eventually let the trial go, that that was the initial focus, that was the initial impetus, and that as the, the show unfolded, that it was for her far more about the people, far more about the culture, far more about the storytelling, far more about the relationships, and that the trial was just this other thing that was going to be too complicated to to deal with. So she jettisoned it after working on it for a couple of years, and I find that huh. so brave. Uh, you know, we've, we've all had experiences, and I've, I've watched a few shows recently that... <laughs> You know, if they would have stopped, you know, after you know a couple of years of work and go, what's not working here and say, oh, it's this initial idea, but it's not really about the initial idea anymore. Now it's become about something else. So let's mm-hmm. put my energy into making it about something else. It's a very brave thing for an artist to do. And, and I applaud her for doing it because then like if it would have been a, you know, a play about a trial and, you know, and even if they had the music and all that, uh, it it just, that's not what this story was about. And it was really cool to read about the evolution for me. And the trial was kind of a lock anyway. Like it it wasn't really going to go their way. And so to have to dramatize that, it goes against the hope that it's trying to give you at the end. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if we literally have to watch this doomed trial happen, and mm. get the the verdict that we all hate delivered. Like it, it's way more about the people's reaction to it, and not what the government is gonna do, because we know what the government is gonna do. Right. right. The same shit it's always done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved it so much, and um, I I think the thing that kept hitting me between the eyes as I read it was all of the different things that were considered indecent throughout the show. Yeah. Uh, Whether it was the relationship or it was the how I talk or what my first name is. Like, the things that we change to make other people feel comfortable. um, Yeah. That was what I kept taking away from it. But I just, it was was a great, I I knew nothing about it. I remember seeing... um, 
the posters that were up on the light the light poles throughout all of LA when it was being advertised. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I lo- honestly like, and I, I, it's always, I'm always talking about shows that I would love to perform in. I want to produce the shit out of this mm-hmm. sometime. Yeah. Is what I would love to do. This is the one I want to direct. Um, did either of you two see Jerry Scott see it when it was here? No, 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 okay. I, no unfortunately. I, I've not seen it. Yeah, I, I, I hope I, you get to see a production someday. It really was super powerful. The performances are next level. Um, serious. It's it's mm. really just incredible. Again, I'm gonna double down on this. I think it's better. It would be so much better in an intimate setting, but it was it was still great. Um, I think it's just you know one of those plays where I it got really meta. It got you know which I love. You know y'all know me. I'm a meta freak. Mm. Whenever things get meta, <laughs> um, they start commenting on themselves, stepping outside of themselves, showing a yeah. scene a second time, but making it more realistic by putting the water on them, which is beautiful on stage, by the way. And that was the moment where I was happy. I was in a big space because it was raining all across the giant Amundsen stage, and I was like, Ooh, oh beautiful. my gosh, it yeah. was be- beautiful, oh. e- epic, um, to say the least, and. So for those reasons, there was there was there was moments of it that just were great. I really hope you get to see it. It's just I think I'd love oh, to. It'd be really yeah, cool I mean, to do in the main stage with that, at yeah. Fools. Actually, um, that's a great space for it. Is it's an it's intimate. You'd be able to see everybody really well, but more than anything, it'd be it'd be uh, just right in your face, and it's got a nice size to it with the stage where you could do some cool water effect. I would I would love to do it in a thrust. Ooh. And like a three-quarter Ooh. thrust, but like that but does change a small, sort of but the small... theatricality of their standing in the line. But right, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But, um, but, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, Bailey. Like I can't, I couldn't imagine seeing it in in a big space. It feels like you want to. You know, you want to be you want to be in the attic with them. You want to be you yeah. Know, yeah sitting there with them. Yeah, so, yeah. The show made me feel a lot of different feelings, but that was the part that I really got the whole idea of this like guerrilla theater, like we're meeting up to perform mm-hmm, this thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I think, and like, when they're doing Broadway, and now all of a sudden it's like we're just glad to have a couple people in the room to watch. I just I'm like yes. Well, and I think that like any time I think any time you write a story about um, the power of art, how it can change people, how it can alter you, like. It's it puts it puts as a playwright like she puts it she puts herself in a sweet spot because she gets to get meta in that sense. That I love theater plays, y'all. I like theater yeah. plays, y'all. I, I love. Do theater she plays. has the great line. I don't ever want to stop acting ever. Yeah. I wrote that one down. <laughs> so I was like, I think that a lot. Think, yeah, and I think that's why it does so. It did so well in L.A. too. Is there's so many actors and artists out here who are just hungry for that shit, and they went and saw it, and they went, Yeah, I feel, I feel that way. You know, well, like, yeah. uh, that actually leads really well into my email. Ooh. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. Okay, so like uh, a lot of what I liked about it, I put in this email. So that's kind of why I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just read what I wrote and then I'll write what she wrote back to me. Okay, Wait. so this is like, I wrote this the day after I saw it. Okay, dear Paula, I saw Indecent last night and I felt compelled to write to you and say what a profound effect it had on me. The play's wonderful. There are moments of pure poetic transcendence. When I felt lifted out of my seat, it was a play that uh, while my companions wrote home chatting about it, I couldn't help but get silent. It got me. It still has me quiet. Um, These were smart, kind, loving, thoughtful people, and yet that did not stop the fascists. 
They were artists like I fashion myself to be. They want to challenge people. They want things to change like I do. They understand what is happening, but even though they understand, they cannot stop it. I'm so afraid that is what is going to happen. By the way, this was written um, July 7th, 2019. Wow. What's already begun to happen right here and now. Um, those who know history know what comes next, but to, to see it, to see what happened, to see these parts that they tried to erase, is that me? Is that my life? Uh, like, is my life up until now just the prelude to some nightmare? This, this play articulated some formless fears that have been swirling around in me for a while, and it's the reason that I've dragged my feet about changing my name legally and my mm. gender marker on my license, because, mm. like, wouldn't that make it easier for them to find me and round me up if they wanted to? Because uh, at that point, they were already, like, excluding transgender people from the army, uh, and, like, without representation in that group, right. then they, they, they don't have us, and, and we would just be an other, and then they could come for us. I'm, and I'm, I wrote a little bit about being scared of traveling because that was a new thing I was dealing with as a recently um, transitioned person is that uh, I was asked to go do a couple things and one, they weren't going to have any way for me to get the two hour drive from the airport to where it was and I would have to find that by myself and that didn't feel safe. And then another one was they were addressing my housing problem and they were just like, it would just be easier if we house you with the boys so everybody's more comfortable. And I'm like, okay, uh, no, I can't come to your thing either. Right. So um, I'm, uh, I'm still writing uh, and I hope uh, that it's going to unite us and not divide us. Um, our, our commonalities, how we all have sadness and pain and how we're all vulnerable and admitting that vulnerability is what will make us strong. But I don't feel like any of it's enough. Like I, I, I feel... I feel complacent in my lack of ability to stop this from happening. And I, I understand what was happening with Mr. Ash when he saw it. Like, I feel angry and agitated about the news. And as a writer, I too am spending a lot of my time at home just shut off and crying. Is that all of us right now? I said this much to my girlfriend, who wanted to go see you at UCLA with Bailey, by the way. Um, and she said to me, um, well, it let him stop him it stopped him from telling his story for a while but we just can't do that and i think she's right i think what i'm supposed to do the only thing i can do is to keep telling my story and it, it just doesn't feel like fighting and it doesn't feel like enough but it's something and it's all i really have so thank you for this play for the class i took with you for everything the time spent with you and your work is truly transformational um and so then she wrote back to me um Dear Natalie, first of all, thanks for going to see my play. I don't mean to scare you. Other folks walk around oblivious. They should be scared, but you already know. And you know in a way that I don't. I have been home weeping too, but I do believe about telling our stories does help. And I do hope and pray that if we all form alliances, we can overcome the third of this country that would be happy to see us eliminated. In the meanwhile, having just spent a short time in your company, I can tell how much it means to me. I can tell you how much it means to me that you are writing. Uh, but also to say, yes, Natalie, take precautions, take extra care right now. Take care so you can write the next one and the next one. I'm so glad you have Sophie. I've, uh, I've got your back and you've got mine. Yours, Paula. Mm. Wow. Well, that made me cry. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We all need some Paula in our lives, y'all. I mean, like oh being in a room with her, you yeah. start to feel like you can literally do anything. Like anything it's is true. possible. She's 
It's, it, it's true. It's, it's like not I said, an exaggeration. She's just like an energy that's like a joy and a happiness and something that sees what is divine in all of us. Yeah. That's the same. I, I I think I heard you talk about another that that like the universal oneness that Beckett got to. Yeah. I think Paula fucking gets it, man. I like I right. feel like she's there. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true, and I think she we're gonna see great things from her yet. Like I think yeah. there's gonna be more i think um anytime if she you ever find out folks that she's in your neighborhood giving a talk or doing a show or teaching a workshop or a class please try to find a way to go because even outside of her words she will give you so much permission to be an artist and you know what some there were some young freshman type people in that room who asked a couple of silly questions just silly questions that were sort of like oh honey that's not what you ask Paula Vogel ask your <laughs> your your 101 teacher that you know what i mean but um there was a couple of those and she gave these beautiful long, incredible answers that taught me things I never would have thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like she she just, she's an, uh, proof of angels. Um, we love and stan her completely and forever. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all yeah. have any other indecent thoughts? And I don't mean indecent thoughts. Any. I mean, do you have any thoughts uh, on indecent? Well, it's also in descent. Oh. 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 <laughs> no. Now that's in, now that's that's indecent. That. What Natalie said was clever, and what you're, you're right. doing, Bailey, is trash. not trash. that. Yeah, it's you're right. Not, I, I didn't say trash. Uh, I didn't say trash. I would never it. describe you as. Trash. <laughs> you implied that I'm trash. It's fine. This has no, been no, a very no, loving mini series. Implied <laughs> that your actions are questionable. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, you're not as bad as CJ. She's a she's a chain smoking whore. Chain smoking whore. I'm gonna rent out a theater um, and hire and produce an entire production of this, and I'm gonna sit right in the middle, and I'm gonna be the only audience member. Uh-huh. Uh, none of you are invited. Oh, uh, because I think that's the only way you should watch this. Who's gonna I'm send totally. all your emails? I'll bring whiskey and weed. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, any final thoughts, you guys? Y'all got anything else? Anytime you get to see a culture that's not your own, yeah, it's you know it goes back to everything that we've been talking about. Um, the idea of representation, the idea um, of a, a community and a culture being yeah. able to have its voice, to be able to give its space to to say what it says and and just enjoy it, yeah. just enjoy it. The music, the dancing, like. It's all just, it's on the page, and you know, I haven't even seen the damn thing mounted. I've just seen the snippets and listened yeah. to the music and read the scripts. So. As a callback to our Arthur Miller episode, it's got a lot of incident at Vici vibes, um, yeah. but it's yeah. but in the way that it's actually more, it's a little hard, harder hitting, in my opinion, because it's really showing it, mm-hmm. and it's not so much just telling you context as it is just throwing you into the context, and I... Uh, I applaud her for that. It's really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, Lemel, like, I feel like he just represents love of theater. Oh. Yeah, I, that's a like, great role. Like, my life was changed by theater too. Like, yeah. I totally yeah. like. You have like this dark, small little corner of the world where people are mean and the views are narrow, and then suddenly you get into theater and you're like, oh, I can be, I can be whatever I want. Yeah. And there's and, people like, that like the I, same things. Yeah, like yeah. it just it makes me cry because I recognize so much of me in that m- those moments with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Can I get some rankings from y'all? I'd love to hear. We we do rankings on the show, Nat. I know you've listened, but we, we, we start from four and go to one. I know it's hard to rank things that you love, but this is just for fun. So I promise they won't get jealous of each other. <laughs> Let's start with you. What are your four, three, two, one of these that we uh, did a deep dive on? Okay, I think four uh, is is Desdemona, and I, I think it's it's probably just because it's a little bit shorter and, and didn't like gut punch me. Yeah. Um, but it's still a very amazing like piece uh, and a character piece that I would also like love to you know work on me accent with. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think probably <laughs> this this is like killing children. Right. Oh my god. It really um, is. Let's. I. I think probably. Um, I'm gonna put Baltimore Waltz third, not because it's worse, just because I have more history with the other two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it, having read it for the first time, it made me cry three times. So I mean that right, that right. very well may change as time goes on. Yeah. Um, and then I would think that indecent or how I learned to drive. I think I'm going to put Indecent as first because I got to see it very early in its life and I got right. to talk to the author right around it. Like, that that's always going to have more of a place in my heart than, than How I Learned to Drive. Yeah. But that being said, How I Learned to Drive, I could just curl up in the words of that script. It just so sounds like a friend and not, yeah. like, text. Yeah. But you're going and with Indecent as one, huh? I'm going with Indecent as one. Okay. Yeah. I, I can... Uh, respect and appreciate that. Uh, Scott, what you feeling? Great minds think alike. I have the exact same lineup as wow. now. Oh! Desdemona, um, Baltimore Waltz, How I Learned to Drive, and Indecent. Wow. Um, and those are all, well, Desdemona is a little bit lower for me personally, but the other three, um, it's just On it's par. just shades. I think, yeah, I think Indecent just... It strikes me as a little bit more whimsical, I guess, but um, I, I, I got no knocks against any of them. Siege? Um, I was going to outright refuse as well to pick because <clears throat> I love all of them for the same reasons, but also completely different reasons. But I, I have the same lineup as them. Wow. Uh, Desdemona, wow. Baltimore Waltz, How I Learned to Drive, and Indecent, and more. It's just because that's what they both said. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. All right, Bales. Okay. Wow, I feel terrible then. No, um, you should. You should. I should. No. Um, bottom for me is Desdemona. We all agree on that. Um, it's just, it doesn't, it, it's... It's playing a different ball game. It man. is. Yeah, it's, absolutely. If you're comparing well put, them, well it's... Put, Natalie. Well that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's comparing them, it has to be the, the lowest, in my opinion. Um, just because the other three have so much brilliance uh, beyond what that one has. In, uh, we can get into that. We already did. Okay. Um, uh, number three is Indecent. Ooh. Number two is Baltimore Waltz. Number mm-hmm. one is How I Learned to Drive. Well, I Mad respect. Never. Mad respect. For yeah, that. yeah. I, and I, I have to tell you, uh, How I Learned to Drive and Baltimore Waltz might be actually tied for first. Um, there's just, I was going back and forth so much, even in this final moment before I said it, I was like, no, which one? Is it going to be this one? Is it going to be? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Because it's life or death. 
Yeah, and Baltimore Waltz on this reread, I liked more on the reread. But as, like, my context and history with how I learned to drive is deeper and I have more feelings about it and the things that it did for me in my life, you know, so it's, it's, it's an interesting way to look at it, but I think that's my number one, just from how much, um, effect it had on me. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any dream roles? Y'all have anything that you're like, I have to play this. I have to direct this. I I would like to play uncle Peck. I'd love to, I'd love to have a stab at it. I really would. Um, and then I would like, I would, I would, I, I don't think I mentioned it while we were talking, but I would really like to try and direct Baltimore Waltz. Mm, yeah. Indecent as well, but Indecent's a little bit out of my realm. But um, I'd like to direct Baltimore Waltz, I think would be... Because it's, it's a little zany, and I like that, and, and, and very theatrical. Yeah. Uh, I think I would want to be Anna in Baltimore Waltz. Like, I know I, know I didn't pick Ooh. that as my fave, but, like, the... The magic that is being done in Baltimore Waltz um, is is the same type of thing I'm trying to do with my writing, which which is basically like bring someone here who's not here, mm. and uh, like I, I did that with my mom, you know. So like I'm working through a lot of stuff with my mom, and we've not been talking for years, and I put her in a play and got to like work on forgiving her on stage uh even without having her in my life and it's just like it's so nice to see people using theater as a means to take the meaninglessness of the pain we all deal with and imbue it with meaning and make it beautiful and and, and make it something of value to other people who feel things agreed for me um i would literally play any of the women uh, and then I would produce the shit out of Indecent. Yeah, I would play yeah, Peck, and that's about it. There's really nothing else that I would touch. Maybe direct Baltimore Waltz. Yeah, agreed with Scott. Um, we're similar types, Scott. I, mean, I feel like. I, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, thank you guys so much for joining us on our mini series of Paula Vogel. I feel like that's all we can really get into today. But uh, we should, we're going to circle around someday on all these people and talk more. But yeah. we'll be back next time on a special episode that's just Scott, CJ, and I, where we're just going to have some discussions uh, about looking back on the past season and everything that uh, 2020 has brought us and our guests and our spotlights and everything like that. And we're going to choose, we're going to rank all of our playwrights that we've done so far. It's going to be a clusterfuck. I can't wait for that. Um, And then after that, we're going to tackle one of the Shakespeare's, either comedies, tragedies, or histories. We haven't decided yet, but that's going to be our season finale closer. Uh, We're very excited about that. Natalie, do you have anything you want to promote before we get out of here um no i i don't think uh anything that i can say at the current time but i i know that there are things in the pipeline that will be coming up that i'm sure that we'll let you know about what is it get, as they get closer right uh thank you so much to thank you everybody pam thank you natalie thank you natalie yeah. thank you natalie thank, thank you, you pam all. quinn for our song thank you ryan thomas johnson for our theme and yeah. to annie baker for writing our script as usual i uh, can't wait to have that beer annie baker absolutely <laughs> follow us on all the things um we really appreciate it subscribe rate review i want to show throw some quick shout outs real quick thank you north new hyde park we have a lot of listeners from north new hyde park from sydney from montville from vienna from I perth fucking rad Bridgewater, Calgary, (laughs) Taiwan. What is happening? What? Cambridge, Barcelona, Stockholm, Spokane, San Francisco, 
Oslo municipality? What is happening? Kuala Lumpur? <laughs> Y'all, we have high percentages from all these places. We really appreciate all of you. You're incredible. That's all I got. Y'all Y'all have anything else you're feeling? feeling, nah. feeling Love y'all. Take care no, of one this another. This is great. This is a great one. Thanks, it everybody. Really Hi, Paula Vogel. Thanks for listening to the end. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Paula Vogel. Talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. Wild <laughs> ambitions in our sight. How an affair of the heart survives days apart. <laughs> and hurried nights seems quite unbelievable to me. I didn't want to what live like that. Aida. Bye. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Talk to y'all soon. Talk to y'all soon. You touched me.